Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now, you're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Simsisms. Toking the line. You're toking the line of being reckless and stupid in those type of situations but <laughs> but did you say toking the i line? did i did <laughs> but either do you think way, that's the right way to what say is, it? what is the right toting? way Are what you is it toe what is it? Toe. Toe. toe toe that's it toe. that's it got it yeah that's the one i keep just messing stick, up yeah just but. stick with the t and two vowels leave out any other concept okay thank you simsisms you know, there is a song, One Toke Over the Line, so maybe that's what influences you. I don't know. It's an old song from the 70s. Somebody sent that last week after that moment happened live. Toking the line, toting the line, or towing the line, whichever the case may be. We will accept all here. We are very inclusive when it comes to I was, the language of Christopher David Sims. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for, you know, working with me there and, and teaching me along the way. I will say that was one of the ones I was probably more embarrassed about in my whole time with you. That was one where I went, wait, I know that's not right. And I sounded really stupid. And I have no idea what the real phrase was because I've been saying toting the line for so long. And then I knew that wasn't right because I remember you corrected me once before and I couldn't remember what was right. So I went with toke. And uh, obviously that wasn't right hey, either. When, when, all, hey, when all else fails, fall back to what you know. You know, that's usually that's, a safe approach. I, and that's what I do know. You're right about that. <laughs> I bet you do, Panama Red. All right, <laughs> let's, right. Uh, <laughs> let's move on. <laughs> uh, Saints-Buccaneers game from Sunday night. Stunning outcome. No one saw 38-3 coming. No way in hell. And I'm telling you, all these Saints fans that want to troll us for picking the Bucks. did you bet your mortgage on the Saints winning? Did you bet your mortgage on the Saints cover? Hey, you know what? I did pick the Saints to cover. I went back and looked at our picks from last week. So I'm not completely at fault here. I did think they'd cover. I didn't think they'd win, but I did think they'd cover. I thought it was going to be a three-point game. It wasn't. It was a 35-point game the other way. Bruce Arians, as his, uh, as his efforts usually do, speaking to reporters and being very candid, although he was a little more nuanced than usual, it's unmistakable who he thinks was responsible for the loss on Sunday night. Here's Arians from yesterday. The interception to A.B., um, that was just a poor throw. Um, the one to Chris, Chris read the right properly. Tom thought he was going deep. He stopped. Uh, those things can happen sometimes when you're, when you're doing it on the run. Mike was open a bunch in that ballgame. He just didn't – he didn't get targeted. That's all. He was open. He, Mike was, was open. The rest of the time he made – Tom made a couple of good throws. He made some really good catches. Uh, the first third down we should have went to him, decided to go to Gronk. But, uh, you know, I think he – he played more than I wanted him to because of the situation of the game. But uh, first, first ball game, he did he did fine. That last comment, obviously, about Antonio Brown's playing time. Mike is Mike Evans. Chris is Chris Godwin. 
when you listen to those statements all kind of mashed together, because that wasn't all one continuous flow. It was different answers to different questions. But when you look at all of it, he's got issues with the accuracy of Tom Brady on Sunday night, a poor throw on the ball that was thrown to Antonio Brown. It looked like Brown quit on the route right. accidentally, not on purpose. Either way, it was going to be a throw. bad throw. The safety, right. the, the, he, you know, either if Antonio Brown runs the route, he's thrown the ball too short and too inside. The safety was there to make the play all along. So whether, whether they weren't on the same page, Bruce Arians just going, wait, he still threw the ball and it was a bad throw. And he just doesn't want to hear, you know, the, oh, what if, what if he did this and all that? Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, man. No, that's all right. And all, right. all these comments about Mike Evans was open. He was open. You saw Arians, he was open. We just didn't throw it to him. Well, who's making the decisions about where to throw it and to whom right. to throw it? That is the quarterback. So there, there's not just an accuracy problem that cropped up on Sunday night. There's a decision-making problem problem if Evans is repeatedly open and the ball doesn't get thrown to him what's going on here and then Antonio Brown is open on the first third down they were facing that that game which yeah. would have avoided a three and out which may have helped stop the bleeding that would have kept it from becoming 28 nothing and then 31 nothing uh you throw it to the guy who isn't open so you know it, it's not as blatant as it was after the first loss to the Saints when Bruce Arians just came out and said, you know, Tom made mistakes, Tom did this, Tom did It's still there. It's unmistakable. It's not something that ever happened with Tom Brady when he was in New England for 20 years. And, uh, you know, back in week one, my, my comment was, gee, how's Tom going to react? Week nine, after what we saw Sunday night, I don't think I care, and I don't think Arian should care because Tom did stink on Sunday night, period. Well, yeah, it wasn't a great game by Tom, certainly. I mean, but I don't sit there and just blame it on Tom. I didn't look at the game back yesterday and just go, oh, my gosh, Mike Evans is so wide open. How dare they? they it was just egregious how well he played. I mean, listen, they got their butts kicked. Their offensive line got their butts kicked. You know, Bruce Arians and the coaching staff did nothing to establish the running game or run the ball at all. And I would argue the best thing about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Tom Brady this year has been their ability to get in some tight end sets and play action and take deep shots down the field, or because those tight ends are in there, max protect, take deep shots down the field. They didn't do that. They lined up and like it was like, oh, no, we got Antonio Brown. You can't match up with us. Screw you. We're going to throw it every play. Listen, I watched that game closely. You know, there's some plays. There was a second and 20 maybe on the second drive of the game where, yeah, Brady, I wish you'd hang in there and throw the in cut to Mike Evans. There was a third and three. You know, when they were down 21 nothing, I believe, at that point, where he's running up the middle of the field. It's not like the most perfect look in the world. You know me. I call it how it is. If I thought he was open and Brady was being a wimp and not throwing it, I'd go, man, Brady was being a wimp. He didn't throw it. But it was tight. So, you know, I don't know. If, so, why, so why is Arian saying Well, I, is Bruce right, also watch, sticking uh, let up me ask you the question. Yeah, yeah. Well, let me ask you the question. Yeah. If, if you're watching the film and you're concluding that Evans isn't running around, you know, waving his arms wide open like Jimmy Orr in Super Bowl three when Earl Morrill didn't see him on the free right, flicker. Right. Right. Um, I'm glad you remember that. Remember. Jimmy Orr just passed not that long ago, by the way. Um, but but yeah. But if if that's not the case, then what the hell is Bruce doing? Is this at a deeper level? Is this the residual impact of the A.B. power play? Because as you were saying. You put the tight ends out there, you run the ball, that helps kickstart the offense. You get into play action, you start moving the ball down the field, you score some points, you have some longer drives, you don't go three and out. Now they got A.B., so they got to go with three receiver sets to get A.B. on the field because Tommy wants A.B. on the field. Tommy wants his buddy out there. Tommy wants his reclamation project on the field, and you see what happens. I wonder if this is just an, a, a sign of a deeper tug of war between Arians who didn't want Antonio Brown. Let's not forget that. Yeah. He did not want Antonio Brown. Is this a deeper back and forth between the two of them? Maybe it is. Well, I, I think it's I, – I don't know if I'm ready to go there yet. But either way, I think what he's, he wants more from Tom. I do think that. I think he still, like, fights the, hey, I want you to be a little bit more aggressive. You know, I want you just to – you know, instead of, like, there was there, – Hey, there's another play. You know, I think the game's at 28 nothing. That because I when he when I saw these quotes yesterday, I had just gotten done watching the game not long before that, 
And I went back and I just went, you know what? Let me just give him one more real good look to Mike Evans and things like that. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that's what he he's saying. One, he's trying to stick up for going like, hey, let's not blame Mike Evans. He's open and he's healthy and things are good. And it wasn't like it was egregious, like I said. But I think the other thing, too, is sometimes with Brady, he's just wanting to continue to push him to be a little more aggressive. Hey, hang in the pocket for, you know, a tenth of a second more. And instead of that five-yard completion, we're going to get the 20-yard completion. I think that's what frustrates him. We know that. That's Bruce's M.O. And, you know, I think there was probably a handful of plays where, again, I'm not going to be overly critical because it wasn't like there was great pass pro all night. He's trying to manage the football game and not let bad things happen because they're in the hole early on and things like that. And, you know, that led to him wanting to get the ball out of his hands. But I think ultimately that's what Bruce is worried about. He's going, hey, wait, I know I had a concept over here, and that's cool, and you got a four-yard completion. But on the backside, we had Mike Evans, you know, running an 18-yard in cut against cover two, and that's exactly what we want. And we need you to throw that laser in there to do that. And I think he's still kind of got that poker next to Brady's butt that way because he's still trying to get it out of him all the time to be aggressive that way. Here's where I'm confused then. Yeah. Why doesn't Arians say what you said? Why, why doesn't Arians say that instead of painting this picture of Mike Evans running around like Jimmy Orr in Super Bowl three? I don't know either. I, I mean, because Bruce seems to let his emotions get the best of him at times. I don't know. And I, you know, it didn't do what's like what you this said. This was Monday. This wasn't right after the game. I know, but I feel like I feel like he Monday, probably watched the later. film and he's frustrated and it's just it's all boiling over. And Mike, I'll say the one thing to you too. You know, yeah, Antonio Brown's there, but man, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, does Tampa feel the pressure a little bit? I mean, everybody expects them to be a major player here. That was a big time loss. It's two kind of ugly games in a row. Now they're six and three. You know, I think he is feeling the pressure to a degree to where, yeah, he understands the expectations, how everybody perceives them to be this year. And I think that game probably scared the hell out of them with the way they looked because it's the worst they looked, it's the worst they executed. And at the bottom line, they were physically whooped. They got their butts whooped up front, and that's probably got to scare them more than anything. Yeah, and I mean, here's the thing you got to worry about. You're a game behind the Saints in the loss column. They hold the tiebreaker, and – Right now, three losses gets you the seventh seed yeah. in the NFC. So they, they don't have much margin for error. They're going to be on the outside looking in. And if they fail to get to the playoffs, that is absolutely a failure of Tom Brady's first act with a second Definitely. team. Definitely. And, you know, at the end of the day, it could be both the Patriots and the Buccaneers don't make it to the playoffs uh, this year. What, what else stood out when you took a look? At, uh, at the game yesterday. Well, I, I mean, I, you know, that, that, the, the one thing on that offensive side of the ball, like I said, to never establish the run, do anything like that, they had no chance. And then I think the biggest thing that jumps outside or out to me, you know, on the other side of the ball with the Saints, first off, I mean, the Bucks were so bad on offense, they couldn't get out of their own end. So the Saints had great field position all game long. But, you know, there was a – a tempo to the Saints offense and an attack mode right away. And it might not have just been with the run game, but it was, you know, when you watch it back, they got up to the line of scrimmage quick. It was huddle, get up the line of scrimmage. They snapped the ball with like 28 seconds. It was an array of personnels and motions and everything like that. And I think what jumped out to me more than anything, Mike, was the way Tampa played on defense, just the style in which they played. Not aggressive, not in your face, kind of like bend, don't break style of defense. And that, to me, it, throughout the Drew Brees' career with Sean Payton is just a deadly way to die slow because they're just going to pick you apart like they did. At no point would they ever stop. You know, Tampa's got some studs. I'm shocked they didn't let Devin White go man-to-man and Kamara a little bit. And Carlton Davis and, and Jamel Dean match up against receivers. They're pretty damn good cover corners. Uh, uh, that, that, I think, you know, the mission, the game plan, and just the way the Saints executed on a defense that I felt played soft all night, I think would be the next big thing that jumped out to me. Michael Thomas, your, your impression of his impact and his return after missing eight total weeks with that ankle and then hamstring injury. L looked good. He did. I, I, you know, I mean, it looked like he was running full go. You know, not a ton of balls came his way. You know, this is where, like, 
him being out could really end up being a great gift for this offense because it's forced them to find other ways to get guys the ball instead of like, hey, let's throw to Michael Thomas 15 times a game all the time. You know, I think now it may lead itself to he gets some more favorable matchups because the ball is going somewhere else. And now you see a few more big plays out of him in the pass game. But, you know, physically look good. But I think that was what I was so impressed with. You know, like the Bucks, they got a really good run-stopping defensive line. And I think Sean Payton said, you know what? I'm not going to get in a phone booth fight with this group. I'm just going to spread them out. I don't think their scheme can match up with this, and he kind of tore it apart all night long. And, you know, Drew Brees had that shoulder injury, um, yeah. and he showed no None. signs of it. And and uh, even in the wind, was able to perform at a very high level. Here's the spray chart for Drew Brees from Sunday night's game. Look, you know, not a lot down the field. Okay, yeah, one to the right there, but most of it is just typically where Drew Brees throws it. But a lot of green dots, not many white dots. He was very, very efficient, as he always is. And when you have all those pieces working and Brees and Peyton connecting and Taysom Hill having his best game of the season on top of everything else, this is a deadly team. And it's funny how our perception changes every week about who the best teams are, especially in the NFC. Right now, yeah, it's hard not Saints to say are them. In the NFC subject right. to change after the next set of games. I would say the Saints are. Well, we're trying to project. That's what we do. I mean, you know, we yeah, we're not like you know, uh, crystal ball and can tell the future every time. Hey, the Bucks were doing some things that yeah were intriguing to me. You know, the Saints have had some off moments as we've talked about. You know, we knew we talked about them being one of those teams that has the potential to be the most complete team in the NFC. We just hadn't seen it this year. We saw it in this one, definitely. I mean, across the board, defense probably played its best game of the year. And, you know, the Taysom Hill part of that offense, to me, they would be crazy not to continue to have him on the field and have a package of plays every week. Yeah, Drew Brees in rhythm. He'll surgically pick you apart. Oh, wait, now we need a big play or something different. The Taysom Hill offense really sets up because it puts the defenses in a big-time bind. You worry about getting outnumbered in the run game. Then it becomes these great pass looks to where it's like, wow, this is a beginner's-level defense because they're so worried about being outnumbered and him running that he gets to throw the ball like the first crosser, the first completion he had of the game, where Drew Brees would be drooling if he saw a defense play that coverage against him. He'd be like, oh, man, I'm going to throw a touchdown every play tonight. But – it is another creative way to give them a schematical advantage for an offense that doesn't have necessarily big play type guys. I think they got to continue to go to that well. I really do. I think it's one of the great advantages they have on their offense. Did you notice on Sunday night, and look, it's possible they've done this before when Taysom Hill is under center, but Drew Brees was split wide. And instead of just kind of taking a step back and not engaging the defensive back, which is always a smart thing to do if you're a starting quarterback out there spread wide, he took a few steps back aggressively. Now, look, it was part of an effort to fool the defense, but it's almost like they're they're setting up for future defenses to follow away the possibility of Hill throwing a lateral out to Breeze and having Breeze throw a forward pass from that posture out there, which would be awesome if they ever do it. That's it would there be was awesome. one moment. There was one moment where they were selling the possibility of it, and Drew did a nice job. He went back, you know, a good five yards right. and was, you know, throw it here, throw it here. But uh, if they ever pull that one off, then uh, that'll be a play. To I, All right, would let's I would think that would come, Mike. I really do. I mean, again, and, you know, it, w that play you're talking about, Taysom Hill pumped it to Drew Brees, right, as he was starting to scramble, and it gave him a little advantage and a more of a window to open up, and he ended up getting, what, a 15, 20-yard run on it. Uh, but that's what I mean. They're going to be able to do different things. Yeah, Drew Brees isn't going to throw 60-yard bombs or 50-yard bombs, but you have that part of the offense. They might be able to create 40- and 50-yard plays because of the schematical advantages Taysom Hill gives you when he does get at quarterback. Yeah, look, it's easy to look at Taysom Hill and look at his numbers from early in the year and be, oh, it's a, this is stupid. Why are you promoting this guy? Why are you hyping this guy? Because he's got the potential to be really damn good, and we saw it last year in the playoffs, and we got a glimpse of it finally on Sunday night. He had had other moments this year, but Sunday night was when we really started to see that triple threat catching, running, throwing that he can be, which complicates the effort to try to slow down the Saints offense. All right, let's talk a little bit about the most exciting game of the afternoon. 
the first round, we have to wait four years for round two unless both teams get to the Super Bowl between Kyler Murray and Tua Tagovailoa. Give me the best word that would describe Tua's performance in his second NFL start. Um, clutch, gritty. I mean, that's the kind of the word I look at a little bit, but really saved some of his best throws of the day from when it mattered the most at the end of the game. I mean, that, that would probably be the biggest thing when they were down seven or when they needed to get the drive to field goal to win the game. He made a few throws where I went, all right, big guy, that was pretty awesome. I mean, hey, they're down 31-24. They're backed up on their own seven-yard line. He had a few throws and plays on that drive that, you know, were really damn good. Great anticipation, a guy who's played, showed his athleticism. So I think that's where I would classify it. You know, what about you, Mike? Well, I look, one thing that Matt Casey just said to us, and I think this makes a ton of sense, the idea that they kept it simple for him. Yes. Right? Keep it simple and do what he can do. And, and this is part of the continuing evolution of the mindset of these very prideful football coaches at the NFL level who are bound and determined to run their system. It's my system. And whoever you give me has to learn my system and run my system. And if he can't, we're going to put somebody else in, and that's just the way it's going to be. There's been a shift over the last 10 years to saying, this is what this guy did well. This yeah. is why we fell in love with him. Right. This is why we drafted him. Let's figure out how to do what we know he can do. Yeah. Let's do that. Let's not do what he can't do. Let's not force him to do something other than what he's done. Let's just accentuate what he's already done. Let's just keep it very simple. Let's let him use his athleticism, and it'll all work out. Yeah. And th there's, a, there's a subtle genius in that. If you are willing to set your ego aside and, and part ways with your playbook that you have spent countless hours crafting and just come up with something to get the most out of the guy that you have, you're going to be successful. Definitely. There's no doubt. And you're right. There's been way too many coaches throughout time where it's, hey, player, you're going to you know, adjust to me and my offense instead of I would tell you the New England. I think you know someone like that. Well, I, I mean, frankly. listen, Gruden was like that a little bit. No, no you know yeah. someone else like that. Well, your good friend, his initials are on your leg. Well, with Kyle Shanahan? Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah, a court, well, like as far as changing the offense. To my the offense, my way, my, my run my offense sure. my way. Look, it's successful. Right. It's successful. Yeah. But it's very different from the trend. The run my offense my way is not the trend anymore. No, I, I get that. But, you know, what, what, what he would argue and sit there and goes, yeah, well, my offense, you know, is towards the top of the league every year. And that's I, why. I'm not saying, no, I'm not saying it's wrong. Right. I'm just so, saying he is, he's in the minority now. Yeah, you're right. He used he is to be in the, the majority minor and now it's the minority. It, but, but I think you look at most successful teams and they adjust. Like Andy Reid, right? It wasn't the same offense with Alex Smith as it is Patrick Mahomes. He went, whoa, wait, uh, hold on. I could do this and that. You know, and same with. New England and Brady all those years, you know, so you start off like you're saying, doing the things that you, the guy does well, let's gain this, get, get confidence. Let's grow that part of our playbook, make that something we can really hang our hat on. And in the meantime, we'll slowly start to introduce more offense and get better at the things he's not great at. Then, oh, wait, that stuff we were awesome at the defense is stopping this day. Oh, look, now we have this part of our offense because he's worked on that. You're right, Mike. I mean, spot on. They kept it simple. That's the best phrase to use. It was screens. It was bootlegs. And it was, I have one-on-one -on, -one on the edge. I'm going to throw a fade route to one of the big receivers. That's really all they did throughout the day. A few other throws here and there. But there's nothing wrong with that because that is some of his best strengths as a quarterback. And you still have to spot it and execute it. That's the thing. Yeah, that, sure. That's some basic ability to read the situation and know what's there and take advantage of it. Now, Kyler Murray is in that same mold, the guy that, that hey, we're, we're going to do what he did at the college level. It helps that they hired Cliff Kingsbury to be the head coach. But now that we get deeper and deeper into year two, when you look at a game like this, one which didn't go their way, and Kyler Murray was dejected afterward, and you know every time it feels like the Cardinals are ascending, they smack into a ceiling. What are you seeing from Kyler now? Are you seeing signs of the offense expanding, or is it still you know as predictable as you – feared it would be yeah well there, there is aspects of that are predictable they did do some change up things in this football game you know you know one Kyler's amazing he is such a game changer as coach Junji talked about a few weeks ago as we've talked about you know his 
his skill set alone makes defenses have to do things they don't want to do. And that's really the beauty of him. He's the greatest schematical advantage they have on their offensive side of the ball. I don't look at their plays and just go, oh, my gosh, I've never seen this. Whoa, he's wide open. I more look at it and go, this is a good formula with this quarterback because he's awesome. And when you're in the spread formation in these things, man, he's tough to spot. You Stop. you got to pick your poison. Quick throws, his running, all that. The greatest thing they did in this game, and I want Cliff Kingsbury, please keep doing this. They stayed patient with the run. I mean, Chase Edmonds ran the ball 25 times. That was phenomenal. And then they had true quarterback design runs for Kyler Murray, more than I've ever seen at any point in his career last week. You know, pulling guards, Lamar Jackson-type runs where I hadn't seen. And I think that's another – they need to have that element of the offense. I think Cliff Kingsbury realized his spread, you know, pistol attack or whatever the hell that thing's called – was he wasn't going to be able to just drop back 45 times and throw the ball in the Miami Dolphins. No, they're too good up front. They're great in coverage, and he knew Brian Flores can break down the offenses if they have some telltale signs, and that was something interesting to see, but it really all goes back to Murray and what he does, and he's just a phenomenal talent. And I think it's smart for Kingsbury to realize that Kyler Murray is very adept at protecting himself. He is. So you can have more designed runs he's not going to get hit whether it's a scramble or whether it is a design run he knows how to avoid contact and he does he 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 strikes that fear into every defensive you have to consciously be aware think of the stress that puts on a defender on top of all the other stuff you have to worry about the guy across from you whether you're blocking someone or trying to get off of a block or trying to cover a receiver on top of everything else you got to worry about this guy that no one can catch deciding, screw it, I'm just going to run. Good luck. Good luck trying to stop me. To have that much more skill than all the people around him, it's uncanny. You know, usually what happens is you bring this great skill set to the college level and you get smacked down onto the ground because you can't run away from the guys like you used to because they're all fast enough to get you. Kyler Murray's that once-in-a-generation guy. Yeah. And I still, I still say speed, agility, and awareness – you throw in the awareness, there's never been a quarterback like him. No. Vic had the speed and the agility, not the awareness. Lamar Jackson's got the speed and agility, not the awareness. Murray's got it all. No, and he, it's so he, much fun to watch him. He is. I know you're you're leader of the the fan club there with Absolutely. Kyler Murray. And because he's shorter than me. Well, yeah, but he, he is thing. awesome. I and, and you're right. And Mike, let me just say this. This was the first game I saw him take some hits. I did. I will say that I'd never seen it. There was a few times because, you know, he's competitive, and you know what happened. There was a few plays where it was like, oh, it's third and seven, and I'm gonna get hit at six yards, and he didn't slide and do that. So that was a little eye popping that way. But yeah, his ability to everything about him. You know, the here's a great example: the Dolphins last week. You know, against the Rams, we saw those blitz packages that really killed Jared Goff and company. Right? Dolphins went back to the well on that. They, it gave the Cardinals issues. The strip sack fumble that Shaq Lawson returned on Kyler Murray was the same blitz that killed Jared Goff last week. So they do that. They go to the well a few times on that. But this is where Kyler Murray's scary because all of a sudden, oh, it's a second or third down. I can't remember which one it was. It was the 56-yard touchdown pass to Christian Kirk. That was the all-out blitz. Kyler knew how to like, okay, I can protect it well enough. I know one guy's going to be free, but I'll fade away just long enough. And it goes back to your point, recognition, understanding what he's seeing, all those things. Oh, 56-yard touchdown bounce. Whoa, Brian Flores has to go, whoa, I don't know. Okay, maybe we'll bring that blitz one more time, see what they do. Well, they brought it one more time a little later. They had a quarterback design run, and he almost went to the house with it. He ended up getting like a 12- or 15-yard run. But that's the perfect example of – hey, this is something this defense does really well. And all of a sudden they said, well, we can't do it. This guy is too freaking talented. We need to do something else because we might get burned if we play that defense. And uh, that just speaks to your point about Murray recognition, the talent, the schematical advantage he gives. I mean, I I asked Dan Patrick this yesterday. Who wins in a race, Lamar Jackson or Kyler Murray? Kyler Murray. All the way? Without question. All the way. Even like a – 
Because I think I look at it and go, like, if it's after, if it's 50 yards or longer, I think I'd take Lamar. If it's 50 yards or shorter, I'd take Kyler Murray. But you'd still take Kyler, you think? I'd take 50? Kyler Murray. Yeah, I'd take okay. Kyler. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Now, now, throwing DK Metcalf in, it gets very interesting. Well, but, yeah, uh, nobody's the, taking the, DK the, down in the 100. I know that. <laughs> no, He's no, no. That. Um, <laughs> you mentioned Kyler's willingness to take hits. We hadn't seen that all year. Yeah. He – he actively avoids it. He he'll he'll do a uh, he'll do a lateral hook slide to avoid taking right. a hit, which is amazing to see. I wonder how much of that Alabama Oklahoma semifinal game from a couple of years ago, like is was this going to be his way to settle that score? Was, oh, this, yeah, yeah. was this his redemption in a strange sort of way with different uniforms, different teammates, different everything? But it's me versus Tua. Tua got me the last time. I'm getting him this time. I just wonder if Kyler gave into that. Remember how kind of weirdly dejected he was? I, I think that he truly believed that in some sort of a way he was going to even out the playing field after Tua got him in that game a couple of years ago. I, I, I don't, like, disagree. He's a psycho from anything I've heard about him, and I say that in a good way, like psycho competitive. You know, I'll even, like, share this. I know he did an interview with my father last week on CBS for the pregame show. You know, my dad was the first thing he said. He said, somehow we got on like ping pong and like he was like, you know, he went to my dad like, oh, you play ping pong? Yeah, I'll take you down. Like right away. It got like, I'll take you down. You can't beat me. Right. It went right to that. And that's all I ever hear about the guy. And then you see it for a young guy. How mature is he as far as how he handles himself in the field? And I mean by you know, holding himself and the team accountable on the sidelines. You don't really see second-year guys yell at their offense the way Kyler Murray has. That's pretty amazing. Now, I was a little concerned with that post-game press conference. I don't love that look for him when he acts like that. But, again, you know, sometimes as a player in the NFL, you can't win. When you act too happy in the post-game press conference, people think you don't care. And then when you do care, people go, what's wrong with him? Why is he acting like that? Yeah, he's dejected. And he, like you said yesterday, he's not used to losing. Yeah. Look, I – I, I, I've I've got no problem with it. Uh, you know, it's not like he was rude. It's not like he got up and left. Uh, he just wasn't happy. And it always bugs me. One of the things Rodney Harrison and I always talk about, and he hates this, the post-game jersey swap, something we don't see this year because of the pandemic. But if you just lost the game and you're out there swapping jerseys and smiling for, for pictures, there's something wrong. Yeah. You should be pissed off. You just lost the game. You, 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 this isn't time to go visit and have a good time. You should be upset, and there's still the enemy, and you go to the locker room. You know, you be respectful. You be a good sport, right. but you don't hang around and smile and yuck it up. That drives Rodney crazy. So I, you know, the, the great quarterbacks are exactly like Kyler Murray. Drew Brees is that way, competitive yeah. about everything. Tom Brady's right. competitive about everything. Peyton Manning's competitive about everything. It's that Michael Jordan gene. You never want to lose anything. You always are ultra competitive. Whatever it is, I want to win, I want to win, I want to win. And that's part of what drives them to do all the crap they have to do to reach the pinnacle of their profession. Yeah, no, it's exactly right. And last piece of this, which I think has not been talked about, about why maybe he was a little pissed off at the postgame press conference. Listen, his worst play of the day was the last play of the day. His worst throw of the game was his last throw of the game. They missed a 49-yard field goal, right? It was third and two, maybe third and three. He did a sprint-out throw to the right, Mike. I don't know if you remember it. Guys open. They got the first down. He threw a bad ball, threw it at his feet, couldn't catch the ball. I mean, it was a really bad ball. He couldn't even really make an attempt to catch it. I mean, I bet you that ate at him because he realizes, oh, man, that would have been five more yards. The field goal probably goes in. Or who knows? We get a first down. And, you know, maybe we go down and score a touchdown and the game's over. And I bet you that really, you know, rubbed him raw when it was all over. Yeah, look, and you're going to lose games in the in the NFL. And he adjusted well last year to the reality the Cardinals struggled 5-10-1. I think it's bothering him more this year because he has a lower expectation and a lower tolerance for losing as his career progresses. And, and look, it's just one game. We'll see him win plenty. And I still think the Cardinals will be in the postseason. The Cardinals and Maybe, maybe who knows? Maybe we will see Tua versus Kyler before the next <laughs> schedule cycle brings them back around again. Maybe it will be a Super Bowl between those two, and Kyler will get his chance to settle the score once and for all. All right, let's take a break. 
when we return. Ben is banged up in multiple ways. The Ravens lose a key piece, plus other injury news coming out of Week 9. More PFT Live right after this. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com, to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. It's the NFL. There's no easy games. Um, we're the Pittsburgh Steelers. We know everyone's come, coming for us. Um, if you didn't know who, uh, I'm not trying to take any shots at anybody, but if you didn't know who America's team was, you should have seen the stands and all the, the terrible towels. Um, Dallas may be uh, America's team, but we'll be the world's team. We got fans everywhere and they're the best in the world. Not trying to take any shots at anybody, but the Cowboys stink and we're great and we're 8 0, and they're not. I like but I'm it. not trying to take any shots at anybody. Ben Roethlisberger took some shots on Sunday in Dallas. He doesn't just have one injured knee. He has Man. two injured knees. Cautiously optimistic for Sunday against the Bengals. They better be ready for Joe Burrow and company. What? Joe Burrow and company what? with a week to get ready. What? And the Steelers living dangerously. The only game they won convincingly was against the Cleveland Browns. And, and I'm, I may not fall into the trap of actually picking the Bengals to win, but I think the Bengals are going to give them everything they can handle. I, I would be scared. You know, again, there's nothing about the Steelers' offense that you're just going to sit there and go, yeah, I know that's not a great Bengals defense, but what about the Steelers' offense is going to say, oh, yeah, they're going to gash you and just tear you apart? No. So there's that aspect. And then the other aspect, of course, Mike, is – We've seen Joe Burrow, the Bengals, their offense, they've kind of got it going and figured out how they want to play. And with his ability to, you know, read the defense, get the ball out of his hand, and just almost always throw the appropriate ball, I mean almost always, I would think they can give them some issues this week. There's no doubt about that. I, I, I'm not going to pick them to win, but I wouldn't be shocked if they kept this close. Hey, Burrow told me after they beat the Titans that after the bye, they've got four or five very, very winnable games. Uh, maybe he's peeked ahead at some Steelers <laughs> film and he's looked at him and he thought, hey, we can we can we can hang with them. They beat the Titans more convincingly than the Steelers did, so it's not a crazy thought. No, it's not. That they could upend Pittsburgh. It it's starting to feel like the time is ripe for the Steelers to pick up an L. They're not going to go 16 and 0. Watch, they're going to go 16 and 0. But but they they're 8 and 0 for the first time in franchise history. It is amazing to think with all those great Steelers teams they never did this and it just feels like it's not sustainable. After No, they're living on the edge. Barely beating the Cowboys. Right. Yeah, it just feels like it's it's they're going to pick up an L at some point. It's not going to kill them. Although with only one bye week and the Chiefs with only one loss uh, you don't have much room to maneuver all right Calais Campbell of the Baltimore Ravens a great addition this year a steal of a draft uh, like a fifth round draft pick to the Jaguars to get Calais Campbell he's got a calf injury he's unlikely to play Sunday night when Baltimore takes on the New England Patriots John Harbaugh told me on Sunday and I don't think it was the typical cliche coach speak, although maybe it was, they're taking the Patriots very seriously because they're still the Patriots. Yeah. Without Calais Campbell, it becomes a little bit harder to beat the Patriots. Oh, I mean, it does. It stinks, you know, just for the Calais Campbell aspect, you know, the, the, the calf injury for that guy, that age, 
That's a real pain in the butt injury. You know, I, I, I know on Sunday, I don't know if you heard me, Mike, when we were in the viewing room, I went, oh, man, that looks like a calf pull, calf strain. That'll take a while. You know, that's, a, that's an injury that happens to guys who are getting up there in their careers. Um, so that'll be a, a little bit. But Calais Campbell or not, there's just no way. So don't worry, Baltimore. Rest Calais Campbell. There is no way. I mean, the Patriots can't stop the run. Now they got the greatest running show we've ever seen in the history of the sport coming after them. I just can't imagine. And then what? Are those receivers and that offense going to get open against Baltimore? <laughs> oh, negative, Ghost Rider. They're not. So rest up, Calais Campbell. They'll be okay without you this week. Well, uh, look. I, I guess I'm picking I'm Baltimore in that game. Uh, here, you can here, put me on the graphic what, at the bottom already. <laughs> yeah, here, and, and here's what's going to happen. It's going to be the, the Raven logo across it the board. It definitely is. You think Rodney will take the Ravens or the Patriots? Oh, he'll take – he's going to take the Ravens. He's not even – he's that crazy. He's crazy, but he ain't that crazy. <laughs> Somebody's just got to take the L every week. There's got to be a rotation or we draw straws. Uh, Any time that we're all leaning one way, somebody's got to go the other way. Right. Just – Tarico's just done that a few times, and he's hit, and it really pisses me off that he hit. Like, it really does. He did that a few times last year where he was like in the power position, winning with the lead, and he just did that, and he won. And, man, that, it, that bothered me. Hey, if somebody had done it with the Saints last week, they would have had bragging rights for infinity if they had pulled that off. But we all had the Buccaneers. All right, let's take a break. Goats in a bad way, and not just us for picking the Buccaneers. We'll do that when PFT Live continues right after this. Celebrate the 2020 E! People's Choice Awards with live performances, the hottest celebrities, and the Game Changer Award featuring athletes LeBron James, Russell Wilson, MJ, Serena Naomi Osaka, Simone Biles, Bubba Wallace, and Sabrina Unescu. The E! People's Choice Awards live hosted by Demi Lovato Sunday on E! All right. Time for Goats in a Bad Way. Chris, coming out of Week 9, I've got a trivia question for you. Mike Tomlin now has 14 consecutive non-losing seasons to begin his career. That ties him for the most consecutive non-losing seasons with which coach? Mm. I, I, I saw this recently, and I just can't remember where. I, I, Marty Schottenheimer. Ding. There you go. It was on your website. I believe I read that on your website some point here in well, the last few that's, days. That's one of the tests to see if you, number one, visit my website, and number two, if you can read. So you passed both. Today. I can. Barely. Well yes, I did it. Thank All you right. very much. Um, All right. You're up. Okay. I think I have to go with the Detroit Lions and their defense, okay? And specifically to that. I just want to make sure I get the yardage oh, right here. my sneeze. Got my sneeze on camera. Good. I'm glad you got, we got it. I had to sneeze. I couldn't fight it off. But specifically, off. the 70-yard run by oh. Dalvin Cook, to have 10 people on the football field, I mean, that's just not acceptable. So, to me, goats in the bad way, right off the bat, I'm going to go with the Lions defense, Matt Patricia, anybody responsible for that debacle. You know, the game at that point, it's 27-13. It's not totally crazy out of reach, anything like that, and yet we don't have a guy at the end of the line of scrimmage in one of the biggest first plays of the drive of the, of the game? I mean, if you want a chance to come back and win the game and we don't even put 11 guys out there, man, that was a bad one, so they got to take the cake there. Yeah, the Lions are 2-13 and 13 in the division under Matt Patricia. That is not going to keep Patricia or GM Bob Quinn employed. It wasn't that long ago that we were feeling good about the Lions, right? They were buyers right. as the trade deadline approached getting Everson Griffin, but uh, now not, and it feels like it's going the wrong way for the Lions who are at 3-5, and five, and uh, uh, they, they better win some games quickly or there will be some major changes in Detroit. First one for me, I'm surprised you left him on the board. I know. It's got to it's gotta be Tommy. Well, I know. You know be. what? I didn't want to give the Bruce goat. Arian. I didn't want to give Bruce Arians any credit. I just I didn't want to hear it. That's, that's honestly why I did it. I was like, you know what? We talked about so, Brady. And I just went against it. I know, but it's still the goats. It's these I are the know. goats of the week. Prime time, 
Brady's got a primetime problem this Uh-oh. year. Maybe it's the Buccaneers. Maybe it's a but hey, I don't know. He's staying up too late, getting a little too old, getting a little it tired. It sounds like your cousin cousins. He's got a primetime problem. <laughs> well, but but it but it I mean it is. Look, they they lose to the Bears with that lost track of uh, Kirk Cousins never loses track of what down it is. Not, he can't do anything about it, but he hasn't lost track of what down it is. Uh you've got that. You've got the Giants game that they barely won and could have lost, maybe should have lost, and then the blowout. So it's it's got to be Brady. Three interceptions. It's on him. He's the leader of this team. He's the guy that wanted A.B. there. And the first night when they get the opportunity to settle the score with the Saints, to pull into the driver's seat in the NFC South, it blows up in their faces, and now they have to worry about not making the playoffs at all. Yeah, no, it, I mean, it's, it's going to be a, a struggle here now. We're going to see. I mean, of course, we know they got some tough football games left, and – they're really behind the eight ball as far as winning the division or maybe trying to be that one seed. That's that's definitely not happening. So I hear you there. That's not a bad pick. Um, I, I mean, it's, it's a good pick. I, I get you. Man, there's a lot to pick from here. I'm having a hard time figuring out which one. I think I got to go with the Seattle Seahawks defense, though. Maybe I'm just going to say Ken Norton and Pete Carroll. That's what I'm going to say. You know, yes. I mean, Buffalo was smart. They threw the ball every freaking play. That's right. Why would they run it on you, Seattle? Why? What? You have a good run defense. Your pass offense is historically horrible, right? So, you know, what the hell are we doing over there? It just it looks so bad on Seattle's defense. I don't know what to say. Little details that are not coached right. You know, there's just issues every week across the board, let alone I know the talent is not great there. But it's not as bad as what their statistics are saying. So there, there, there is issues there. And on that point, too, you know, Allen went 31 to 38. Again, I'm just glad he shut some people up. All right. I mean, I thought I, you can't fix accuracy. Didn't think you could fix it. Oh, that's right. He's accurate again. All right. Either way, okay. everybody get off Josh Allen's back. Shut the hell up. He's still one of the five best quarterbacks in football. Okay, how to get that off my chest? You're jamming, you're you're jamming a lot. Hey, you're jamming a lot of guys in the I top am. five today. You you've already claimed two spots: Dak Prescott and Josh. Allen. I said Dak Prescott so was top crowded. eight. I didn't say he was top five. You said five or six. I said he was six, I think, at first, and then I said he's definitely in the top eight. All right, thank you, counselor. All right, uh, am I up now? I'm yeah. Up now. Well, I, usually I, after me, you go. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I got. I lost track of my notes. Uh, next one for me. I, I got to go Zane Gonzalez, the Cardinals kicker. Um, there was a time when, when they used to kick straight on where it was fairly impressive to make a 40-yard field goal, and a 50-yarder was unheard of. At some point in the past 45 years, the 40-yarder became a chip shot, and the 50-yarder became not quite automatic, but not as big of a deal as it used to be. I just remember like in the 80s, if it was 45, 46, 47, you never quite knew whether or not the guy was going to get it there, whether he's going to be able to keep it between the goalposts because he has to put all of his leg into it. And that's a no big that's no big deal anymore. 49, 49 yarder, no, no big deal. The only question about that is whether or not it's going to go left or right. Zane Gonzalez to force overtime in that classic Cardinals-Dolphins game between Kyler and Tua, he comes up short. Yeah. That's amazing. Who comes up short on a 49-yard field goal in today's NFL, Chris? I can't remember the last time I saw that. No, I I mean, and what's weird is it doesn't look like anything was hit wrong. And even you read read his lips after he missed it. He's talking to the holder, and he goes, I don't know what happened. Like, you could really see him say that. So, I don't know either. You're right, but 49 yards this day and age is nothing. For these guys. I mean, what do we not, see? It's not like you're trying to put the ball on the green and you left a little bit. Like, you, you don't you, you don't need to take something off of it. Well, we oh, saw the guy. Off in, of it. You don't need to take any off of it. Just no, kick the damn thing. No, that's what's amazing. We saw the guy in Carolina, right, against the Kansas City. They attempted, what was that, a 67-yarder? 66. And it, 66 it had the and it distance. it was long enough. It did. I know. That's what's amazing. So, yeah, I'm with you. I'm shocked. Um, all right. I hate to do this because there was so many positives. No, you don't. No, you don't. Well, I I think the biggest blunder of the week, it's either between, I mean, I I could certainly talk about Flacco and some of the crap he did last night. Matt Nagy, I mean, they could be on the list every week for their offense. I mean, really, we should just put them in a traditional spot, make him the fourth pick every week. 
Then <laughs> I think the one I got to go to is the Dallas Cowboys. It's third and five. It's 1915. Okay. We're on the five yard line. Garrett Gilbert, your quarterback. It's the Pittsburgh freaking Steelers defense who just turned over Lamar Jackson last week and all that stuff. And you got Garrett Gilbert, not Lamar Jackson. And he hasn't played a lot of football, let alone NFL football. It's the Steelers. Once again, I just wanted to say that. Oh, wait, guess what happened? The Steelers got pressure and hit him as he was throwing. Ball pops in the air. Interception. There goes the chip shot field goal to go up by a touchdown and really make it tough on Pittsburgh. I mean, to me, when you talk about managing a game and doing things a certain way, that risk-reward was just not worth it against that defense with your quarterback, and that, that's one that stood out to me. Last one for me, and I hate to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to preface it the way you did. I'm doing it. Yes, I am. Brent Boyer, the Jets special teams coordinator, because even though it wasn't fatal last night, how in the hell do you send 12 guys out for a field goal block? How does that I, I happen? I mean, that could have been fatal. How does that happen? Yeah. How does it happen? Right? You've got your field goal team. And there are 11 guys on it. How in the hell do 12 get sent out? I can understand it for an offense and things are a little complicated. Defense, what package are we using? There's no sub package for a field goal try. You've got 11 guys. You send them out. How in the hell does a 12th guy oh. make his way onto the field? And if they scored a touchdown on that drive, that would have been way worse. He got lucky that they ended up still settling for a field goal. But you're right. That's just that's an 0-9 football team for you. All right. Uh, the most notable gaffe by a Jets assistant since Sal Alosi. Remember what Sal Alosi did? Uh, yes. Chris, do you remember that? Look Who wins this. in a race? Not Sal Alosi. It's very close. Lamar Jackson uh, with 50.2%. You can still vote. Still vote. Man. 23 hours left. Keep counting those votes. Keep counting. <laughs> Stop the count. Keep counting. Bill's Mafia, the only good mafia. They're a great mafia. They're getting it done. In honor of Patricia Allen, the grandmother of Josh Allen who passed away over the weekend, fans of the team have been flooding the Children's Hospital in Buffalo with donations at $17 a pop or, or more, but 17 has been the traditional amount because that's Josh Allen's number. And this graphic says over 150,000. They just posted that it's over 200,000 in basically a day and a half of Bills fans. And look, we encourage all football fans to, to go there. We, we've got all the links you need. Go to profootballtalk.com. The story is there. Put Josh Allen in the search box and you'll find it right away. All the links you need. Yep. It's simple. It's quick. It's 17 bucks. Come on, 17. Think of the stuff you waste 17 bucks on, right? Kick in 17 and let's try to get this thing to a million. Yeah, that's amazing. For it's just the the Bills community. It's awesome. It's one of the best fan bases out there. I mean, it really it is up there in Buffalo. It's like everybody's in it together. They support each other. Josh Allen is the perfect guy for that city. He's awesome. He's a great guy. It's a cool story. It really is. All right, that's it for today. We'll see you Wednesday. Have a good one. See ya. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.